I tell people all the time and, you know, as a teacher and I tell people as, as kind of, when you say this as a coach, it's like find a good plan and, and work at it every day and try to do what you can every single day rather than trying to find the best plan today. And then you change tomorrow's best plan and then you change to, you know, Thursday's next plan. Because you're going to be changing constantly and you're never actually going to go through the cycle necessary to see the fruits of that labor. You're listening to the Millionaire's Unveiled podcast, where you'll hear the stories and interviews of everyday millionaires. We'll unveil their decisions, their strategies, and their current portfolio allocation. Now to your hosts, Clark Sheffield and Jace Mattinson. Welcome back to another episode of the Millionaires Unveiled Podcast. This is episode number 256. As I described yesterday, we have a couple special treats this week, and today is no different. We have a returning guest. His name's Donald. He was on episode number 95, and he is a newly minted millionaire. It's going to be a great episode with him, getting into a little bit of his journey since first appearing on the podcast. He shares with us that he had a goal, he didn't tell us at the time, that he wanted to be a millionaire by 40, and he did that. He was just a month and some change shy of his 40th birthday. So I'm super excited for the episode with Donald today, get into his kind of journey since he's been on the podcast. Uh, I guess it's been a couple of years now. Yesterday, obviously, we had Michael. We talked to him about uh, you know becoming a millionaire and newly minted millionaire as well. He was on episode number 129. So got a few uh, updates here for you on the Millionaires Unveiled podcast, and we've got a few more coming this week, so cannot wait to share those. Without any further delay, let's get into the episode today with Donald. Today's show, we've got a returning guest. You might have remembered him from episode number 95. Donald, you're here. Dude, do a million dollar holla. You have made it to the million dollar mark. Is that correct? It is. It is. And uh, I'm very, very, very excited to have done that. That is definitely a milestone. And I, I told you guys, and I kind of promised you guys, I said, you know, I'm going to get there someday. And when I do, I'm going to email you guys and come back on and it came a lot sooner than i expected my my um my goal to come back and talk to you guys i didn't say it at that time was i wanted to be by the time i was 40 i wanted to be able to say that i was and i'm 39 and i turned 40 in about a month and a week so nice. i beat that by by yeah i did i beat that milestone by a year and here we are Awesome. On to the next one. Yeah, totally. Don, what, what I want to know is when we had you on, we had you on August of 2019, or at least that's when the episode was released, so maybe we recorded a little bit before that. You were at 630, so what? how in the world did you make 400 grand? Well, I, the, the real estate market in Northern Virginia has helped. I believe at that time, my house value was probably around 330 340 i check zillow today and it's at about 405 so there there's 75 right there and then um we've been able to increase our savings my middle daughter went out of daycare uh, about a year ago and um just like i i always have done when i've had money freed up that that freed up about 800 dollars a month and we put um, about 330 of that into her college savings. The, the, the day that she got out of daycare, we opened a college savings account, the Virginia state max in for, for a, uh, tax deduction, which is about 330 a month. And the remaining amount we threw into, um, our 403Bs. And so that's accelerated it a bit. We did some, what I call strategic rebalancing with our portfolio, but it was really just common rebalancing and we're able to buy a lot of 
very inexpensive index funds in both of our retirement and our taxable accounts. And just from those places in the stock market, I mean, stock market's up probably 30%, which, you know, part of our net worth right now consists of about $630,000 in the stock market and in total market funds. And, you know, all of those things added together, it's it's gone just it's exploded. And, and, you know, I read a lot um, online and I read a lot of books about, you know, financial independence. And that's kind of what the message often is that, you know, the first 10 years, it's all about contributions to build wealth. And then after that, it starts to become earnings on contributions. And I've really picked up that that sense myself in the last year or two, really, since I talked to you guys. Totally. So just been very blessed. We've been very blessed. So, Donald, we talked a little bit before the, the show here, but just maybe for our listeners, what's changed with your investment allocation, you know, in the last couple of years and what, if anything, and what's going to change, if anything, going forward for maybe the next decade or so? Well, in the last few years since I talked to you guys, of course, um, I kind of brought up a little bit. Whenever, even when I was talking to you guys at the time, I was about 85% stocks and about 15% fixed income. And I had at that time, and then going forward, I just kept reminding myself, you know, I, I know my strengths and weaknesses. And I think that's important for anybody. And for me, a strength is that I know that I can set a plan up that 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 I can follow and that I'll stick with it. And when it comes to, to index funds, I could never do that with real estate. I could never do that with Bitcoin. So I had a plan that the next time that the stock market dropped 10%, I was going to allocate some of my bonds to stocks. So boom, I went and took my 15% allocation. And I think I put 5% into stocks. So then I was 90-10. And then within a few days, almost, it seemed like it dropped another 10%. So then I put the remainder of my 403B bonds into stocks. And I had saved because I had a son born right, right before I talked to you guys last time. I had a son born in 2019. And because I was worried about having cash on hand, I had only I had traditionally saved about 35% into my retirement accounts, and I started only putting about 20% in in 2018 when we found out we were expecting to ch- kind of hoard cash in case an emergency hit. You know, you never know when you're going to have children what could hit and whether we would need you know a new air conditioner. So by that time in 2019, I had accumulated a lot of cash. I, I was up to about $36,000 in cash and savings, bonds, and CDs, and so. I I had kept that and I told myself whenever the first 20% drops, I'm going to start putting some money in the stock market. Well, I put some of that um, taxable money in the stock market when it dropped 20% and then it dropped another 10% and I put more in. And so I wound up buying a lot of index funds just happened to be around the low that have since like doubled. And when I say like I was able to buy a lot, I took like half of that cash position and put like 18,000 into index funds. And now the, those I was just laughing the other day because I knew I was coming on looking at what I was up to as far as my net worth. And I, I had bought like $18,000 worth of index funds, which and they're worth like 37000 now or something. Like it's insane. Don, let me just stop you for a sec. You bought, you said $18,000 of index funds? Yeah, I bought um, half in ITOT, which is a the iShares total market. Um, ETF and half an IXUS, which was the iShares total international. So, and were you sitting on a lot of cash at that point? I was, and that was that opportunity. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, and and I'm. I think I told you guys this last time. Of them, I am of the of the belief, and my mentor, who I've mentioned last time greatly, had 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 pushed this upon me, where it was put your money somewhere. So put it somewhere, put it somewhere that it's going to have positive appreciation. And so when I was hoarding cash, I put a lot into savings bonds. And at the time, 
I had put them in I bonds that were like I don't know had like a one t- or like a one point one percent positive ret- um, return after inflation or point two percent fixed allocations after inflation. So I had accumulated a lot, but I only accumulated them in case you know, like I said, I have three children and. I don't know about you guys, but your situation with with having children. But every time I had children, I like pulled back cash because you never want to be in a point like where somebody comes to you after you have a child and you have, like, say, health issues with the baby and you're sitting there with more stress. So part of my sanity was for all three of my kids at the time, I probably was saving, say, 25 percent for my first one into my retirement. Maybe I lowered that to 15 for six months and just hoarded the cash. So for my third one, my son, I had hoarded all of the extra income I'd gotten from coaching, all of the extra money I'd gotten on side gigs as far as supervising for the parks and rec system here in Northern Virginia. And I had just put it in the bank or I'd put it in savings bonds. So now when last March hit, my son is eight, nine months old. Actually, by that time, he was about 11 months old. And I'm sitting all this cash and I see the market diving. And everywhere I go on Twitter, some of the people I follow, like Rick Ferry, Brian Faroldi, are just like, you know, talking about how at the worst time it seems to invest is actually the best time. And it seems like the world's going to end today. But we we promise you if the world still exists in 10 years, then this is going to be a generational buying opportunity. So I figured I have like 30. I think I had like 35,400 in savings bonds. I said, I, I'm not going to take it all and put it in the stock market because it might be the Great Depression 2.0, but I'm going to put half in. And so I did. And I mean, it was the greatest thing I could have done at that time. And that's that's how you made 300 grand. Right. But, you know, the thing is, the thing about risk is I I was I I, like I said to you guys, I think probably the first time. And now if if you told me to take that money and put it into a rental, I I would have failed because it's not my strength. So when people come to me and ask me for help and they say, what should I do? I can't really answer that for a lot of people. But what I can say is what's your strength? If your strength is that you don't ever feel like you could lose a lot of money, then then you shouldn't be in the stock market. But for me, that was my strength. I, I, I knew I could stomach that because I knew that as the drawdown was happening and I was taking money from my 403B, I wasn't nervous. I was like, you know, like rubbing my hands together, like, man, I'm like 25 years from retirement. And I knew the worst thing that could happen is that I would just have to work an extra few years to get to Social Security and I would have a decent pension. And even if the pension got decreased, you know, I was confident in my style of investing in that I and I knew myself. Yeah. So that that's the biggest thing. I tell people all the time and, you know, as a teacher and I tell people as as kind when you say this as a coach, it's like find a good plan and and work at it every day and try to do what you can every single day rather than trying to find the best plan today and then you change tomorrow's best plan and then you change to, you know, Thursday's next plan. Because you're going to be changing constantly and you're never actually going to go through the cycle necessary to see the fruits of that labor. And so for me, it's just total market index funds. I love your show. I hear people all the time talk about real estate, people who talk about starting their own business and people who are engineers and do, you know, individual stocks. For me, it's just not for me. But I know my strength. Yeah, that's, many uh, yeah I don't think that's a problem. Different strokes for different folks, right? Right. 
There you go. So, all right, if you're just joining us, we're chatting with Don. This is a follow-up from episode 95 titled Net Worth of 630K, Teacher with Side Hustles. Both you and your wife are still teaching, right? Absolutely. Absolutely, we are. Okay. And a combined salary of about 125K we have in the show notes. That's still yeah. the same. It's yeah. It's, it's because we got some raisins this year. It's, I would call it about one thirty one, one thirty one, one thirty two. So same, basically. Yeah, yeah. So how does it feel to be a millionaire? Did you do anything to celebrate? <laughs> you know, if somebody asked, hey, that's a years. serious question. That's <laughs> I know, but question. Mark, he's celebrating right now, coming on the Millionaires in Bill podcast, doing the million dollar holla. I'm gonna go on a big trip, and then he didn't. Uh, dude, it was COVID, man. <laughs> Now, you know, like up until a year ago, somebody said, you're going to be you're going to become a millionaire. How are you going to celebrate? I would have laughed and said, you know, as long as it doesn't happen during a pandemic, I'll go to Disney. But here we are. Right. It's like, <laughs> it's um, like we didn't even really know what that was. I mean, I, I did go to Disney and just wasn't to celebrate this during the pandemic. <laughs> I don't know if I should admit that, but <laughs> we went over the break and there was nobody there. It's great. <laughs> yeah, that would be the time to go. No, my, my, you know, my wife and I, we we're, I mean, I don't, we're certainly not like Mr. Money Mustache. If you follow him, he lives a very, very, very frugal life, but we're so frugal that like, I'll bring up Disney to my wife and I'll be like, Hey, the kids are getting bigger. Let's go to Disney. And she'll be like, yeah, okay. But you know, instead of Disney, we could do like season tickets, at Kings Dominion, and we could do this and that. And like, <laughs> let's just go to Disney like one time, you know? No, so Don, I, you know, what's, I mean, you're at a million now. What, what's the plan? What's the goal? Just Anything? My, so, so I think my, my next goal, well, I know my next goal is to, the next one I'll celebrate is going to be to pay my house off. I'm in no hurry to do that. Um, because as most people are today, the financing is pretty favorable, but I owe about 118 on my house. And I think the next step that will make me feel like I have taken a big step is when I have enough money and liquid investments to pay off my house. So right now I am, oh, with liquid investments, I could probably pay off probably half of it. And so I'm not saying I will pay it off when I can, but that will be the next place where I feel like I'm. I'm taking the next step to financial independence. I've always thought that to be financially independent, my number would be somewhere between like 1.5 and 2, but that was always with a paid off house. So I think that the next step would be that I think that would actually take me to five. So I'm so on track. Gonna, are you going to try and pay that off early, sooner rather than later, or does it not bother you to hold the mortgage? It bothers me nothing to hold the mortgage, but I'm also kind of impulsive. For instance, my, my wife and I, I'll tell you a quick story in a few minutes after I tell you this part. My wife and I started out after college or something like 700 to $800 in college loans. We paid off all of them except for one, which had the lowest interest rate of like 4, 4.1%. And this was by 2016. So this was like 10 years after we started paying off, we were down to one. And she owed about $17,000 on it. And just from good savings habits and frugal savings, we had, we had accumulated that in cash. And it was kind of like in our emergency fund. No plans to pay it off whatsoever. We were taking you know tax breaks on the interest, which weren't much because the interest wasn't all that much by then. But I just woke up one day and I went to work and I just said to myself, sitting there, I got the money to pay it off. I'm just going to pay off this loan right now. And, I, and, I, and, and it was honestly as simple as that. I just said that. I went home. I opened the computer. I went to the it was through Great Great Lakes servicing, and I opened it up and I paid it off. That is kind of how I how I do things sometimes, but I always make sure that it's a positive. So, 
some people get impulsive and they want to go buy a brand new pickup truck. I get impulsive and I pay off loans. I mean, that's that's just how I've always been. And I think that takes practice to get to, but the satisfaction that comes to it, like it's second to none. And it, and it makes me feel like it's, it's just, it's like every single month, that I have, um, that I'm further off from paying off debt and that I, that I feel like I'm moving towards financial independence. I just feel like that my family's better off and I feel like that I'm better off. It almost feels healthy to me. It's therapeutic. Yeah. yeah. Don, let me, let me ask you, once you do get that house paid off and as the net worth increases here, I mean, a million now, and obviously it'll keep going up. Does that change your risk appetite? Are you more willing to invest more aggressively or live a different way, change your lifestyle? I mean, how does the money affect these things going forward? I have never felt like any number of net worth has changed the way I've attacked um, savings. And and part of it is because I'm limited to really how I can save. So let me give you an example. The, the move I made, and I know you're not supposed to time the market, but the way I always looked at it was either the world is going to fall apart and there's not going to be a stock market or it's going to pay off. I would have made that move if my net worth was um, $200,000. I would have made that move if, I, if my net worth was $5 million because regardless of my net worth, it it just felt like from all of the the background education I had gotten from investing, it just felt like it was the smart thing to do. Now, was it the smart thing to do? Look, I could be sitting here rather than talking to you guys right now and that I think it was like 17,000. 500 I put towards those total market funds last year, they could be sitting at 4,000 and we could be in the Great Depression too. That that was definitely on the table. So they maybe wouldn't have been smart, but I just felt like, and I remember this is going to sound so, I don't know, naive or childish. I remember even when I did that and I knew that I, I knew it was the right thing to do. I can remember sitting in front of the computer before I pulled the trigger on the on the orders for the ETFs, just thinking to myself, I know I have to do this because it's the right thing to do, but I don't I don't have the conviction that I should do it or that I feel comfortable doing it, but I know it's the right thing to do. And I, that is a, lo- a place where a lot of people who have to save money start with. The first time that they you know buy VTSAX, which is the Vanguard Total Index, that's kind of flouted, or excuse me, that's kind of touted by a lot of people that are like super savers, like JL Collins. There, there is a first step, and that first step is is sometimes nerve wracking. And for me, putting almost twenty thousand dollars into a market that was you know had been in the sky and now is in the basement, that takes that takes a lot of nerves and guts. And I can remember being nervous doing that, and I didn't need that money. I mean, I'm not trying to tell to, you know, sound like I'm filthy rich. I didn't need that money. I don't need that money for another 30 years. And and best case scenario, I leave that money to my kids. But it was still kind of nerve wracking. But that's why it was such a great market because everybody was selling, right? Like everybody was getting. So to answer your question, I'm taking the long way around to this. I can't be much different. I'm a school teacher with access to a 403B and I have an IRA through Vanguard and I have a taxable account. I'm not getting into real estate. I know how I can lose money quickly and that's trying to get into the real estate. I can lose a lot of money if I did that and I could probably lose even more money if I try to time Bitcoin. So I stay in my lane and I kind of just I'm going to I'm going to be buying total market funds until I until I get to the point where I got to start spending them then I'll spend yeah. them. What you know? what rate do you think we'll see in the future for that rate of return? What do you plan? Uh, I, I from the, from now until um the rest of my life I always plan on 5% cuz I feel like at 5% nominal which really turns out to like 2 to 3% real. That is probably the lowest I'll get over the next 30 to 40 years. I think that there's a real good chance that I'm not going to get 
even that over the next decade in American stocks. But, you know, I invest internationally as well. So I think I told you when I bought the ETFs earlier, I bought half U.S., half international. My IRA is about 23% international. And that just happens to be because 23% of my retirement and my tax deferreds are IRA and the rest is 403B or 457s. So if I ever got to 50% international in my retirement, I would be okay. It wouldn't bother me. It's all positive expectation investing. I think we'll probably get better out of international going forward for the next decade. But I also know that in the next decade, the biggest driver of my returns most likely is going to come from the from the the ability to save more. So my youngest is still in daycare. He's got three and a half more years. And as soon as he gets out, we'll be expanding our retirement savings. Right now, we save about 34% towards retirement and we save another 7% towards our, our children's college accounts. You know, it's And how much I, do you spend a year, Don? Uh, I can tell you exactly what I spend a year. Um, so our mortgage, if you include taxes, interest is about $1,517. Um, Homeowners Association is... Oh, go ahead. No, no, I'm just laughing. You said about $1,517. And the the only reason I know that, the only reason I know that is because about two months ago, I got the the bad, I got the bad letter in the mail saying that that nobody (laughs) wants to get saying that our escrow was going up. It had been $1,443. And I remember thinking, yeah, who wants that? So, um, but anyways, it's $1,517. And then That that cost you like two days, man, of coming back on the show. Dude, I know, right? <laughs> HOA is like 100. And then, so my annual spending on groceries, I'm going to tell you everything that we spend intentionally on and then our general amount every month. So spend about $220 on utilities. I told you my mortgage. And then we have our general spending in credit cards, which we use credit card rewards for is about 2,500. All told, if you include our mortgage, our yearly spending, it turns out to be a little over 60,000 a year. And our, um, once you take the mortgage off of that, it goes down to about 41, $42,000 a year. Um, and that's our spending. And I can honestly tell you, and this was kind of the story I was talking about earlier. I, I had sat down and my wife had found some um, some statements from when we first started teaching. So when we started teaching, she made 35000 a year and I made a little over forty-one because they were different school districts. From that time till now, we've only increased our living, our, our, um, our standard of living by about $7,000 a year, even though we currently make, I mean, you take about 76000 and we've almost doubled that in salary, but we've only increased it like 11% in living. And I don't know if I went over this last time, but our biggest driver of wealth has just been taking raises and taking bill payoff, debt payoff, and just rolling it into into um, investments. That's all it's been. We do it intentionally. I, I have a tax return that I'll be getting this spring, like, like a lot of people. And I know already exactly what I'm going to be doing with that tax return. I'm going to take half and I'm going to put it towards mortgage payoff and I'm going to take half and put it in ETFs. Same ETFs I talked about earlier. And it's just being intentional. Got the system down. Yeah, it it is. And and the thing is, that's what I tell a lot of people that that um, as a teacher, as coach, it's just like you could just get have a system. You guys know it. You guys have a system. But a lot of people never find their system, and so they never find comfort. And then they just go wandering from system to system, or parts of this or parts of that, and never figure out what to do. I think I told you guys. When I first started teaching, I never had any money left over. I just didn't. We we made it. We spent it. I always wanted to save. And within a year, we paid off two cars, 
just naturally. It wasn't an early payoff. And I paid off my engagement ring for my wife, and we had paid off one college loan, and that had netted us all told about $535. And so I just started taking mm-hmm. that $535 and putting it in the bank. From that, now out of that, it's almost like a flower that's blossomed. I, I still have that yeah. $535, but we've added maxing out Roths. We've added about 20% additional onto our retirement accounts. Outside of Roth, we fund two college um, 529s. We have a we pay about $700 more a month for our rent than we did then, although I know it's a mortgage. And that's all just from taking raises and saying, I'm going to, you know, we figured out we're going to have $4,000 raise between the two of us this year before it even gets here. Like the pay, the pay stub I get, that's the last one before the raise. I figure out what half of that 4000 is and I put it into the traditional 403B and I figure out the other half and I put it into the Roth 403B. We never see the raise. We just never, we just don't see it. When you don't see it, you don't miss it. And, you know, I tell that to coworkers who are like, you know, I just can't get in savings. And you start talking to them. It's like, hey, we're getting a raise. Why don't you just put that in the 403B? Well, yeah, but, well, yeah, but. And it's like, if you don't prioritize it, nobody's going to, nobody cares about you as much as you do. Yeah. Agreed. Well, that's great, Don. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for getting this follow-up. I mean, really interesting stuff. Again, everybody, that's Don. His original episode aired in August of 2019. That's episode 95. He had a net worth of 630000 at the time and now coming on because he just reached millionaire. So, Don, congrats on your success. Thanks again for coming on, and it'll be fun to, for everyone to hear a follow-up with you. So, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I appreciate you having me, and you're going to hear from me when I hit $2 million. Thanks, Don. <laughs> yeah, can you do it a little faster this time? Like, yeah. maybe in a year or something. Oh, I would. Right. trust me. If I knew the ma- yeah, I tell you what, if I knew the magic formula, I would. Well, I'm just teasing. It's pretty. Amazing. I know. I know. Uh, Thank you. I appreciate that a lot. Thanks for listening to the Millionaires Unveiled podcast with Clark Sheffield and Chase Mantinson. For more stories, investment opportunities, and information, check out our website at millionairesunveiled.com. See you next time when you'll hear from another everyday millionaire.